Get your Bibles open to Isaiah 54, and I want to encourage you with a very practical word today from Isaiah 54. That's, that's the I-54. If you're new, we're on a series right now that's a little bit unique and that we're focusing on Isaiah 54, which is a prophetic uh, foundational word for living stones. It was one of the words that birthed, uh, birthed this place. It was a word that was given over my mom and dad when they were completely clueless about what God had for them or for us. We're, we're living in the, the downline of all that uh, blessing. Um, but Isaiah 54 is significant. I want it to be in your DNA. If you're a living stone and this is where you call home, I want this verse to be part of your DNA because it's, it's part of our prophetic inheritance. The first week we preached on the word sing. The second week we preached on the word build. And this week I want to preach on another word that's here in verse 2. It's the word enlarge. The Bible says this, Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, and spare no expense. When we were building our home right down here on 7-Eleven Pratt, I told Marion, I said, I want to have the basement to be wide open. I envisioned my basement being full of teenagers. I was a youth pastor at the time. I said, I envision our house being filled with teens, and I don't want the basement all chopped up, and I, I want to make, I want wide open spaces. In other words, I saw what God had put in my spirit before we ever saw a hole in the ground, all right? And when they put that hole in the ground, we actually paid extra money to have an I-beam installed across the top, the threshold of that basement so that we wouldn't need any support poles or support beams in our basement because I saw that room full of teenagers. Well, guess what happened years later? That room was, our house on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon would have up to 80 teenagers in the house. It was glorious. I remember taking a picture one Sunday of all the shoes because everybody took their shoes off at the door. Imagine what 80 pairs of shoes looks like at your front door. It was awesome because what it was a sign for me, it was a sign of life. It was a sign of young people being encountered by God. It was a sign of incredible ministry happening all throughout my house. But here's my point. I saw it first and then I built it before they ever came. What do you see? And many times when, when it's kingdom, like I, I wasn't envisioning just filling my house with rogue teenagers. You know, you know what I'm saying? They were there on purpose. And I saw them there getting encountered by the Lord, loved on. I saw in, my, in the eyes of my spirit. I mean, you know, God gives those kind of dreams. And when God gives you those kind of dreams, he wants you to step out in faith and to act on those things. And so I want to talk this morning about stepping out and singing, first of all, and building, secondly, because... In this passage, the Lord said, I want you to sing and I want you to build. That's before there was ever the sign that God's promise had come true. In other words, they weren't busting at the seams at the time. There wasn't a bunch of kids running around that God had promised at the time. It was just this desolate woman with no kids. And God said, I want you to sing and I want you to build because there's getting ready to be an expansion. How many of you know, every time God partners with us, it requires faith on our part to meet God at what he said to us and to step out. Singing requires faith, especially when you don't feel like singing. Building requires faith because it means you're, you're extending yourself, you're building something, you're hoping you're going to complete it, you're believing you will, and you're believing that it will, it will accomplish the reason for which you built it. Both of those things require faith. Now, 
As it relates to this expansion project that we're looking to do here, we shared about it last week. Of course, we want to build a spine that's going to connect the whole facility. It will be a nice, spacious foyer, so when we come in, we do conferences, we, we do whatever. We've got a big, open area for people to fellowship, have some coffee, uh, small groups, all kinds of cool stuff. We're looking at giving our whole children's and nursery area a major facelift, uh, nice, big, clear identification areas. When you walk in, if you have children, you're going, where do I take my kids? Ah, you won't be able to miss It'll be screaming at you, all right, Um, which would be great for parents, plus it'll be wonderfully done, uh, up to date. We'll be redoing our youth facility, some new carpeting, some some freshness in there, some new uh, classroom spaces for Celebrate Recovery, for small groups for our youth ministry, um, all kinds of great stuff. Walk down the hall into our fellowship hall. That's going to be completely transformed into a great multi-purpose room that will be used for all kinds of stuff. You know, when my sister and brother-in-law were talking about uh, this being a family, you know, throughout the week here, we're, we're celebrating babies. We're celebrating weddings. We're st- doing showers. We're, we're um, celebrating life. We're, we're also celebrating those that pass on to be with the Lord in death. Uh, we do it all in this, in this place. We marry folks. We dedicate babies. I mean, from, from the womb till we go home to be with Jesus, this is a bustling place where, where life is happening and we're doing life together. And, uh, and we just believe we need to keep having that vision for the next generation. And so I asked the question this morning, what does the Bible have to say about building and construction? I mean, does the Bible give us any principles about building and construction? And guess what? It does. There are uh, numerous examples in the scripture where God instructed his people to build. And I want to go to one of those this morning. A lot of you have heard of a facility called the Tabernacle of Moses. Uh, it, was a, it was a tent of meeting, all right? In fact, it's interesting, when the children of Israel were delivered and they came out of Egypt and they came out of the bondage and the affliction of Egypt, one of the very first things God instructed was that they would build him a place where he would hang out in their midst, God's presence in their midst, and that they could worship him and that God would be among his people. How many of you know God loves being in the midst of his people? And, and not just individually. How many of you know if you're, if you're saved and full of the Holy Spirit, you're a, you're a tabernacle of the Most High God. You're a carrier of the glory of the Lord. Praise the Lord. But it's interesting, God is always throughout the Bible, always uh, instructed his people to gather corporately, uh, and that requires facilities. And we're going to look at some of those facilities in the scriptures. The first one, of course, Tabernacle of Moses. Now, this is amazing because God laid the foundation for the entire created realm in Genesis in six days, but he spoke to Moses about the tabernacle for 40 days. This is pretty stunning. God spoke about the place where he was going to dwell. He spoke about that place for 40 days. That, that just, now, if you just stop and think about that, here's another thing to think about. There's over 50 chapters in the Old Testament that speak of the tabernacle or something specifically about the tabernacle. Now, why in the world would God spend that much time talking about a place that he wants to, to build for him to gather amongst his people and to be there in their midst? This tent of meeting was portable, unlike our sanctuary here. It was portable, but it was portable on purpose. I mean, you know, they were still on their journey to possess the promised land and the fullness of their inheritance. So God, when he instructed them to build this tent of meeting, uh, he wanted it to be portable. He wanted it to be able to be on the road, so to speak, because they were moving. They were a people on a journey. And, uh, and so he, he designed it in a very specific way 
to house his glory and to be able to take it up, take it down, and move it as God moved his people. Now, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 25 this morning. Exodus 25, you can check it out on the screen as well. Exodus 25, I want to read the first nine verses just by way of foundation here. This comes right after God meets with Moses on the mountain for 40 days, reveals himself, gives the Ten Commandments, and and here's what God says as soon as Moses gets down from the mount. The Lord says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Here is a list of the sacred offerings you may accept from them. God had his, his list to bring. Here's what he wants. Bring your gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen, goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins. Fine goatskin leather, acacia wood. Olive oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest chest piece. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary. Why? So I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle in its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. So God had a very clear vision of the type of gathering place that he wanted. He had a very clear list of the things that the people were to joyfully and willingly bring. And God's promise was he would then come and live amongst them. Now, we've been singing a lot. I mean, it wasn't worship just off the charts this morning. I love the the flow Heaven come down, heaven come down, crying out for the miraculous, the presence of Jesus, God in our midst. How many of you know that's what we're still pursuing here, just, so, just to make it abundantly clear? We're after Jesus. We're, we want his presence. We know when God is in our, in our midst, all kinds of amazing stuff happens. God's stuff happens. People's lives get touched. Uh, supernatural things happen. Miracles happen. People get free. I mean, are you with me? Are you are you're committed with me to pursuing that end? We don't build fancy buildings so that we can have fancy buildings. We, we build whatever structures we build so that, so that, so that God's people can come together and God can come right in the midst of our corporate gathering and do what only God can do. That's what we're after, just to make, make it abundantly clear. We're after Jesus in our midst. But I want you to check this out. God said build a tent. Now, I don't know how many of you are camper type people, but I grew up discipled by my mom. And who actually discipled my dad. <laughs> so whenever my dad might have even had a strange idea about roughing it, my mother discipled him. And um, my mother's idea of camping was like the Ritz-Carlton. All right, that would be the, that would be no sweating, no bugs, no cooking food over fire and dirt. All right, no rocks, no wild animals, no discomfort. My mom's way of thinking was, you're going to take me on a vacation and torture me? Uh Uh-uh. It's going to be better than it is at home. That's called a vacation, better than we have it at home. So we didn't sleep out in the backyard. We didn't, you know, fight off the bugs at night. We were inside, air conditioning, fireplace in the winter. You know, so when I think of a tent, you know, I went on Amazon this morning. I didn't know what tents even cost. I went on Amazon. You can buy a tent for $18.99 on Amazon, all right? That's pretty cool. 
Let me just tell you, this tent did not cost $18.99, the one I'm going to read about, okay? And it wasn't, it wasn't like whip it together, everybody jump in. Oh, no, no, no. This, this was an elaborate, high-priced, when God says a tent of meeting, he's taking our vision to a whole nother level, all right? In fact, I want you to go with me. Exodus chapter 38, verse 24. And before I get there, I was talking about my mom. My mom and I about wet our pants this morning because she leans over to me and she says, are both of our services live screamed? <laughs> I said that would be live streamed, Mom. We're not, we're not live screaming. All right. Anyway, <laughs> never a dull moment. Okay, Exodus 38, verse 24. The people brought special offerings of gold, totaling 2,193 pounds, as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. This gold was used throughout the tabernacle. Okay, now I did some research. I, I talked to Dick Sabel because he's our re- resident investment specialist, I said, Dick, what is the current price of gold per ounce? And he told me roughly $1,100 an ounce. So you multiply that by 16 so you can get a pound, and that brings it up to $17,600 for one pound of gold. There's 2,193 pounds in the tabernacle of Moses. That's 38,596,800, I'm sorry, 38,596,800 dollars of gold in a portable tent. Are you kidding me? This ain't camping out. $38 million in our current dollar amount of gold in the tabernacle of Moses, which was God's portable worship center in the wilderness. Now, I haven't got to the rest of it yet. It gets, it gets more astounding. That was just the gold. Here's the other materials. There was, there was five tons of silver, four tons of brass, an assortment of jewels, fine woods, and rich tapestries. So conservatively speaking, you double the $38 million. Here's what you have. This, is, this was the price in modern-day value of God's little tabernacle in the wilderness, the tabernacle of Moses. It was a $70 to $80 million building project. Now, I'm going to bring up a couple points here. First of all, don't tell me God doesn't care about where we worship Him. He spent a whole lot of time telling them the exact details, and then He threw the bill on them. Can you? Now, I didn't. No, just okay. <laughs> I've been going through the process of just this expansion, all right? And let me just tell you, it's nowhere near that, all right? It's, it's like a tithe of that. It's like a tenth of No, it isn't even that. It's, it's a half, it's a 5% of that. And we're talking about. About three million, three and a half million. Seventy, eighty million. Now, when I heard of them price out what we're looking at doing here, I kind of choked a little bit, just a little. <coughs> what? Um, because I don't usually write checks like that, all right? I, I don't like flow in those circles. I'm believing that someday I will, but currently, not my reality, okay? So here's the deal. Who was God floating the bill to, to, all right? This is the children of Israel. They lived in slavery for 400 years. Let me give you a hint. They're broke. They don't have two nickels to rub together. 
and God sends them the building assessment fee of 70 to 80 million, put yourself in their shoes. Where in the world are they supposed to get 70 to 80 million dollars to put up the tabernacle of Moses when they just spent 400 years broke as a joke in Egypt? It's a good question, isn't it? I feel that way on a smaller level. All right, anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, you don't have to amen me on that one. But um, let's take a look at the provision. You've probably heard this little proverb that says, where God guides, God provides. How many of you have heard that? It's a, it's a good word. Where God guides, God's going to provide. Or this one, how about God's vision, God's provision. If God inspires us with a vision, it's God's job to provide the provision. And I like this one from Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. That's a good word right there. Now, where did these little pithy statements come from? Let me tell you where they came from. They came from people that had to believe God. This is not somebody that made these things up just because they sounded cute. How many of you know, any of us that have had to ever believe God for something he put in our hearts, it required us to step out in faith. But every time you step out in faith, God provides what's needed, many times through miraculous ways. That's what makes it so exciting and scary all at the same time. You know, I just got to warn you guys. We are totally set up by the Holy Spirit today in the song selection. Totally set up. God of miracles, remember that song we sang? Come, God of miracles, come. But just don't make it that I need the miracle. Because that's scary. Because miracles mean that you're at the end of your rope and that there's nowhere to turn. God of miracles, come for Chris and Julia. I want to believe for them, not for me. Because who wants to be, who likes being at the end of your rope? Who likes being between a proverbial rock and a hard place? Are you hearing what I'm saying? But isn't that the definition of a miracle? When God intervenes and does something that only God can do in a way only God can do it at a time when only God chooses to do it, isn't that what a miracle is? It's, it's something that takes us above and beyond where we normally live. But usually it freaks us out to get there because it's scary. So where in the world did these people get 70 to 80 million dollars when they with her former identity was one of a, of a slave let's go to exodus chapter 3 i shared with you a few weeks ago that god will give us visions just like he gave moses god will give us visions but then what what often happens is we get so enamored with the vision and so excited with the vision we possess it and then we take off running and we leave god in the dirt any of you ever done that besides me and moses had that happen when Moses was, remember when he was back in Egypt, uh, he saw some of uh, his Egyptian brothers, so to speak, mistreating his Hebrew blood brothers, and, uh, and he got angered by it. He saw this man beating another man, and he took it into his own hands, and he retaliated, and he ended up killing the Egyptian. You remember the story? And then he freaked out about it, and he buried the corpse in the sand, but some people came up to him later. They said, oh, you're the guy that was Mr. You know, Macho in the fight. We saw you kill that Egyptian. And then, then he realized, I got to get out of here because I am in big trouble. And he spent the next 40 years out in the desert wilderness with a bunch of livestock. How I many of you know that the vision that he had in his heart was God's vision? It was a vision of liberation. It was a vision of deliverance. It was from the heart of God. But when it ran through Moses' carnal heart, it got all messed up. And, and literally, he, God had to ship him off to some wilderness study 
where he had to get to the place where he was broken and completely undone, and, and basically where he had died and given up on that dream. I mean, you know, 40 years with a bunch of sheep has a way of convincing you that you're probably not going back to Egypt to deliver anybody. But it's interesting in Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses out of nowhere at the least expected moment. Isn't that how God works? And God begins to reveal himself to Moses. And he begins to tell him about his call on his life. And it's interesting because Moses starts making excuses. You know the story, right? Moses makes excuses. Why is he making excuses? Because he finally realizes that he can't do this of his own strength. Can I just tell you something? There's nothing that we do in the kingdom of God as far as on the grand scale that God wants that should not bring us to a place of, of, are you serious, Lord? Me? Me? You know, let me just say this. Some of the scariest people in the body of Christ are people that think they're God's answer uh, to save the world. A healthy dose of humility, the ability to walk with a limp, uh, because you've been around a while and you realize, uh, I tried that one time, didn't work out so good. You know, when you walk with a sense of of a healthy self-assessment like, oh, this must be God because this is way over my ability, that's healthy. That's not a lack of faith. That means you're in touch with who you are and you're in touch with who he is and you realize if he doesn't do it, you're in big trouble. That, that's, that's, that's being dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And boy, if we can get on our knees and on our faces and crying out for God to do what only God can do and trust Him, Lord, we can't do this on our own. Watch what God will begin to do, including with our finances. Watch what God will begin to do with our finances as we look to Him. When we look at Exodus 3, one thing that is missing or that we often overlook is found in verse, verses 21 and 22. Let's go ahead and go there. Verses 21 and 22, God gives him a promise. He, he, this, he's already over his head. He's like, you got to be kidding me, God. Uh, and look what God tells him. I will cause, this is God doing, I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of all their wealth. Now, this is crazy. If you could imagine, I'm an an Israelite woman, all right, and I'm walking up. This woman here, Chris, mean Chris, she's been my slave master all these years, I mean, you know, you don't go up to your, your previous owners who have, who have dominated you, told you what you can and cannot do, mistreated you all your life, and you're going to say, oh, can I have that necklace that you're wearing? Lovely gold, by the way. Can I have that? And you're going, sure. And I say, oh, by the way, those earrings are lovely. Can I have those too? Thank you. Oh, and that wedding ring on your hand. Yes, I love that too. It's like a giant vacuum cleaner sucking off every bit of value, right? Oh, those high heels would look lovely with the outfit. In fact, you know that dress you wore yesterday? Could you go get that out of your closet? I think I'd like to wear that as we leave. This is nuts. Oh, and, and that beautiful set of silver uh, dishes over there and the gold over here. And all, you know, can, can you just load it up right here? We're getting ready to head out of here. Sure, I'd love to do that. I mean, are you kidding me? The, this is the oppressors that you're going to who are now opening their cupboards wide to give you everything that you ask for. This is nuts. 
But I want you to look what happened. It's exactly what happened. God said it would happen. And I want you to look with me uh, at the fulfillment of this verse. This is found in Exodus 12, verses 31 and following. Flip over to Exodus 12. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out! <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a change of heart after, uh, after all the plagues hit. Cha- get out of here, please! Leave my people! Take the rest of the Israelites with you, all y'all! Out of here! Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Look at, he's getting really generous. Even take the flocks and the herds. Take it all. And, and he says here, um, and be gone. Go. But now he's even asking for a prayer on the way out. But bless me as you leave. Lord knows they needed it after, after all that God did to bring judgment on, that, on the Egyptians. And look at verse 33. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. Now, is that not a change of song and dance from where they once were? God can move the hearts of kings. God can shift perspectives. God can give favor. It's amazing what God can do when God's getting ready to fulfill his promise. Now, look what happens in verse 34. This is incredible. The Israelites took their bread dough before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks. They carried them on their shoulders. And verse 35 is the fulfillment of what God said. And the people of Israel did as Moses has instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. Now, don't glance over that because I'm telling you, that is a strange thing to ask a bunch of people to do. Right as you're getting ready to be delivered, go ask your former oppressors for all their stuff. Lord, I'm a slave. That's not the way we operate around here. We're happy for a bowl of soup. We're happy for a piece of moldy bread. We don't usually talk this way to our oppressors, but God said, go ask. You know, that takes faith. It takes faith. They had to do their part and believe God, and look what God did after they did their part. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. Isn't that amazing? They stripped all of Egypt of her wealth as they walked out the door into the wilderness. Now look at Deuteronomy 8.18. This is a great promise to us, and it reminds us what God is trying to do in partnering with us. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Why, though? It's wealth with a purpose. Here's the why. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. How many of you love Jesus Christ? You've surrendered your life to him. Uh, You're a son or daughter of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you at in this place? All right, good. Guess what? You got a covenant ring on your finger with Jesus. We just, how many of you took communion this morning? What are we doing? It's a covenant meal. It's a reminder of our marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that God's looking to do with us as his bride? He's looking to partner with us so that as we, as we join him in his act of redemption, in his creative dream and in his redemptive dream on this planet, which involves saving the planet for his glory, as we partner with Jesus, what does God say he's going to do? He is going to, on the basis of covenant, he is going to uh, allow us to have the provision we need to do what God's asking us to do. That's called covenant. 
With it comes all the provision that we need to get the job done. Deuteronomy 8.18. So here's my question to you. God just gave them a 70 to $80 million bill for this little house of worship on wheels. Where did he provide the money to a bunch of slaves to pay for it? When they left. And let me just put this in perspective. If, if you just had a slight little glimpse that you're going on a 40-year trek in the wilderness, you would not be asking for gold bars. Great! And you would not be wearing gold high heels as you traipse through the wilderness. And you would not be wearing the fine jewelry that's dripping sweat drops off your earlobes because it's so hot. You wouldn't be carrying any of this stuff if you knew you had 40 years of backpacking in the, through the sand dunes of the wilderness. Are you with me? Why did God load them up? It wasn't so that he could give them a few extra spending dollars to stop at the McDonald's on one of the times around the mountain, all right, when they were walking in disobedience. How I mean, you know when you're living in the wilderness, you need two things really badly. You need water and you need something to eat. Oh, and three, it'd be nice if there was something to cover you from the elements at night and during the daytime. Guess what God gave them? Water out of a rock. He gave them so much meat, they, could, they vomited it out when they were whining. He gave them manna every morning. Isn't that crazy? But isn't this wild? God did not give them gold and diamond and jewels in the morning like manna. He could have, couldn't he? But it's interesting. God wants to partner with us. I remember when I was in college and we didn't have much money. In fact, we were, we were both, Mary and I were both working. We were in graduate school. All the money was going out as fast as it was coming in. But here's one thing we've never, we've never not done. We've never failed to give God what's his. We've always given God the first fruit of what he blessed us with. Always, never without an exception. I was taught that from this high. Non-negotiable in my life. When I was getting ready to get my very first real job, they told me what the top salary was for that position. And, uh, and shortly after that, we called back home. Mom and Dad told us there was a need here at the church, and it was a $1,500 need. And I instantly in my heart felt like we were supposed to meet that need. The only problem was $1,500 was my net worth. Any of you ever been there? Any of you ever still there, all right? Um, $1,500 was everything to our name. But how many of you know when God speaks to you, there's a sense of excitement. I said, honey, I think we're supposed to meet this need. She said, great. Isn't it great to be married to a wife who loves Jesus as well and full of faith? We pulled out that checkbook, $1,500. I mean, I felt like a millionaire writing that check. We sent it home. It was great joy. The only problem is right now, we got this in our account. Nothing. Not an empty, you know, I'm looking out, Mr. Wolf, you know what Regent University is like. I mean, come on, it was like wilderness, manna, God feed us. Um, do you know that I was offered the very, that very week or very next day, it was shortly after I wrote the check and sent it, I got a call back from Taylor University asking, or offering me the job at twice the check, $3,000 above what they just told me was the, the, the ceiling. $3,000 above it. Before the checks even out of my hand, God not only gave me what we, what we sowed, but he gave me $1,500 bonus on top of it. That's how God works. 
The purpose of the blessing in our lives is to release supernaturally into kingdom things and then watch how God is filling the cupboard as you just threw it out one door. He's filling it up on the back door. This is called walking in faith and trusting God. This is what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to partner with him and he gives them a 70 to $80 million building project, but it wasn't that they did not have the money. Oh, they came out loaded from Egypt. They had everything that they need and God had actually already gone ahead. Now let me wrap it up here in just a couple of minutes and talk about the final point, which is the decision that God's asking us to make. Look at back at Exodus chapter 25, 1 and 2. God gave each of those people a personal decision. He wasn't forcing himself. He wasn't commanding. He was giving them an opportunity to join him, and he's giving us the same opportunity. Look closely what Exodus 25, 1 and 2 says. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the children of Israel to take an offering for me. From every man whose heart moves him to give willingly, you shall take an offering. Isn't that interesting? From every man whose heart the Lord has moved so that he offers it willingly. No compulsion, no sense of duty, no sense of obligation, no sense of burden, but a joyful heart. I mean, you know, there's a, one story in the Bible where Jesus is sitting in the temple and he's watching. It's offering time. And Jesus, God, sitting in, in God's house watching people give offerings to God. Pretty awesome. And Jesus watches the Pharisees. They come up and they give all their offering in coins so that when they drop it in, it makes a lot of noise and everybody goes, whoa, those Pharisees are so generous and Jesus is totally unimpressed because he knows that they're doing it all for the wrong reason, right? And then this little woman comes up, elderly woman, very poor. Nobody even pays attention to her. She's got no status. She's got no power. She's got no money. She's got no nothing. She's a poor, little, elderly widow that has nothing. And Jesus says, did you guys just see that? And the disciples are like, what? Did you just see that? He watched this little woman come up with two tiny little coins, like pennies, and drop them in the offering plate. They represented everything that she had. And Jesus stops everything and says, did you see that? This is amazing. All of heaven stops. God stops to notice one little lady's sacrificial gift. I mean, you know, it wasn't the dollar amount. It was the lavish nature of what was going on in her heart. Remember the woman with the alabaster box of precious ointment? The disciples said, you wasted it on Jesus. We could have sold it and given the money to the poor. But Jesus said, no, no, no. He looked at her heart. He said, this is a lavish demonstration of affection on me. How many know you can't waste anything on Jesus? Nothing that's lavished on Jesus is ever wasted. Um, That's what the devil would like to tell you. That's what religious people want to tell you. It's wasted. No, it's not wasted. The heart is what what transforms the gift into something precious to God. I just want to say this loudly and clearly. I never, ever want any of you here to give an offering of any kind where you in some way, shape, or form felt like it was an obligation or pressured or law or whatever. You know, God's looking at our hearts. He's wanting to get us to the place where generosity just flows out of us and we love partnering with Him. Are you with me? So I'm just, I want you all to hear that because we're, we're looking on, on March the 19th of, of simply asking, by that time, asking God, what is it, Lord, that you want us to give? What, what do you want me to give personally for our family? What do you want me to give? 
And I want, I want March the 19th to be a Sunday when everybody comes in here with such joy on their faces and on their countenance because God has spoken to you and you're excited to partner with him, not because your, your pastor or somebody else has any expectations on you. Are we all clear on that? Look. All right. Happy hearts. This isn't about me. It's not about this. It's about what God's doing and our opportunity to join him. Let me end with this. This is the end of the story. Exodus 36. This is the, we, we, we rewound it all the way back to the, the deliverance from Egypt. Now we're going all the way to the end when God says, build me this tent, uh, this 70 to $80 million tent. And here's the end of the story in Exodus 36. I hope this encourages you. Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts every morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary, they left their work and they went to Moses. They said, hey, these people have given more than enough materials to complete the job that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and this message was sent throughout the camp. Hey, men and women, ladies and gentlemen, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. Here's the word of the Lord. We have enough. Everybody say that with me. We have enough. Let's say it like we mean it. We have enough. Come on. That's what I believe. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Hallelujah. I I read this to us this morning because I just want us to get instruction. I want us to realize sometimes you look at blueprints and hard hats and you think, well, that's not very spiritual. I'm telling you, it's incredibly spiritual. I'm telling you that how we handle our money is, is, is directly tied to the level of our discipleship and devotion to Jesus. You can't be a spiritual giant and be greedy at the same time. It just doesn't happen. So one of the ways God works with us is to create in us a desire to trust him and to sow and to bless. So that's what he's doing in us. And I believe we're going to come to the point when we're going to see this amazing project and you're all going to be incredibly excited when it's done uh, to see the people's lives that are going to be impacted by this and the ministries that are going to flow through this. But I believe we're coming to a place where we're going to be able to say, you know what, praise the Lord. The needs have been swallowed up. God has met, and we're going to have stories of God's amazing uh, supernatural moves. I end with this story. I, I love reading history, and I love reading others who have had to do similar things. And Pastor Cho, some of you know Pastor Cho, pastors over a million people in South Korea. Uh, amazing man of God, amazing man of faith. But when God spoke to them about building a structure to house the worship of that many people coming together, how many know that's a big facility? And when they just got the steel beams erected, how many know the devil knows how to attack at just the right times? It wasn't before they broke ground. It was after they had this mammoth steel girder structure up. The American economy took a nosedive, which meant the South Korean economy really took a nosedive, and their, the value of their money was next to nothing. And they've got this big structure up, and everybody's personally broke. And months went by, and months went by, and the builders were saying, Pastor, if you don't get this structure enclosed, this steel is going to go bad, and, it, and you're going to it, you're gonna have to wash it all off. The whole thing's going to uh, have to be torn down. It's going to have to be scrapped How many of you know in moments like that, your prayer life increases exponentially? What did they do? This was in the dead of winter in South Korea. They started gathering in the shell of this facility outside, and they started praying and fasting. 
and asking God to help. Now, I want to show you how God moves. God did not drop money out of the sky. You know what God did to break it all wide open? He sent a widow who walked up to the microphone with her gift. Her gift was wrapped in rags. It was a little wooden bowl that she ate out of and a pair of chopsticks. That's all she owned. Those were her possessions. And when this woman gave that gift, something broke in the atmosphere. How many of you know extravagant, sacrificial, love, crazy, off-the-charts love like that touches people? And the Holy Spirit took that offering and God moved amongst that community and people were selling all kinds of, of stuff, extravagant stuff. There, and I'm not suggesting this. And this is stuff only God can do. But husbands and wives were taking off their wedding bands and giving them to the Lord and trusting that someday they would go buy another set for themselves. It was extravagant devotion and love for Jesus, not for a building, for Jesus. And in a short amount of time, that group of people raised everything they needed to bring that project to completion. And the rest, shall we say, is history. And not only that, but hear me. And I, I share this. I'm not, I'm not a businessman. I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't go in those arenas. But I'll just tell you this. The men that were attached to that man of God, the men that invested in that vision and what God was doing, Many of those people went on to move in supernatural blessing and favor in their arena of influence. And I can't tell you how many millionaires are at that church now that weren't millionaires back in the day. They, they walked with God. They heard from God. They dedicated their businesses to God. They gave the increase of their businesses to the Lord. And God blessed those men so that God could continue to reach that nation through that ministry. God will covenant with us. He's in covenant with us right now. He will covenant with us to perform those things, those visions, those dreams that are his heart and his desires to touch people. And I'm just telling you, he's inviting us uh, to step out in faith. Last story. I went and did my taxes this week. I fell into depression this week, I'm telling you. I went and did my taxes, and here's what happened. When our government informed us that our perfectly good... uh, Insurance was no longer meeting the standards or whatever those standards were. We had to make a decision here. So basically all of our staff that had any kind of insurance, we had to give them the dollars for that insurance and have them go out and buy the insurance themselves on the market. It looked on paper like a raise. It was not a raise. It went to buy insurance that previously the church had bought. So I ended up getting about a $1,700 bill for my insurance, or, I mean for my uh, taxes. I can't tell you, the devil used that because I just preached a good message last Sunday. I was, so, I was fired up. And I was waiting to have resources, hear me, to sow. And I felt like the stinking devil not only took them, but kicked me in the, kicked me, and uh, <laughs> kicked me hard. And then stomped on me while I'm laying on the ground. And I left there fighting depression. And then I realized, knock it off. You're the pastor. You can't be depressed. And you have to practice what you preach. So then I stopped being depressed. 
with violent tendencies, and I started... (laughs) And I started to sing. I started to sing, and then... And then my mother started preaching to me, Son, you don't wait to give what you're anticipating. There's mama speaking the truth again. Come on. God wants you to sow in to what you're anticipating, not wait till you have it in your hands to give it. So I'm just telling you, I had to go through a whole week of hating government officials Hating the IRS. If anybody would have come up to me at that time, I said, oh, where do you work? The IRS. Yeah! I would, I would have uh, had to restrain myself from physically abusing them. But I'm happy now. I'm just telling you, we all have to work through life, don't we? And there are things that happen. I told you before, as soon as you think, that's what I'm going to do, something else happens that tests your faith. I had Lori, uh, Alisea this morning, it was so great. By the way, I so appreciate it when people, you know, we shared this vision last week. There was a lot of energy. She got right on Facebook, man. Now, a lot of times when people say stuff to me on Facebook, it ain't nice. They call me names and stuff like that. You know, it's just not pleasant. All right. She was just all excited. Oh, pastor, this is so great. And she's two paragraphs of just joy coming out of her heart. It's, I just got to tell you, it just bless me. So I went up to her this morning, and, and she was on a roll. She said, Pastor, do you remember? And she reminded me, she and Dave had committed to helping me raise money when I, when I ran for office. They, were gonna raise, they promised me $5,000 to help me with the campaign for state rep. As soon as they made that promise, both of them lost their job. Now, I just want you to know I wasn't like, you will pay me the five. No, I was not. I would have just, you know, hey, no problem. Praise the Lord. We're just, we're not, we'll move on. But here's what I love. They said, no, we made a commitment to sow into you. And even though this looks really bad, we're going to trust God. Do you know, she started getting from her ex-husband who had owed her years and years of child support that he never paid. As soon as they lost their jobs and made a commitment, they started getting $500 a month from nowhere in, and by the time it, we got to where uh, the campaign needed it, or whatever, whatever their commitment was, they had paid it all off. That was money that she had never seen her whole life, that all of a sudden started, check this out, when they made a commitment in their heart to do something that God had put in their heart to do. I'm just telling you, you're going to be attacked. Whatever you do in faith will be challenged. The devil will be standing there. You remember when David showed up with Goliath? Goliath wasn't like, oh my gosh, who are you? You're a child, this ten sheep. No, you're the secret enemy. I'm going to run. Are you kidding me? He starts trash talking. He starts calling him like a dog. I'm insulted by you. You're you're the guy that's going to fight me. He starts trash talking David. David could have tucked his tail and ran. But David's like, oh yeah, you know who I've been hanging out with? You know who I've been covenant with? And once David started doing, I'm going to cut your head off, dude. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, where are you? I can't see you. You're like a flea. But my point is, when the devil comes and starts, starts contending, pushing back, that's when you need to... 
telling John he was playing a game the other day and his defense was so good that this guy was getting irritated and he pushed him like that. And I said, that's good. That's good. That means he knows you're there and he's frustrated because he can't find the ball. Keep it up, son. Keep it up. All right. Do that to the devil. You're on him. He's pushing you off. You're on him. You're contending for what God has put in your heart. Fight, 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 fight. Nothing in the kingdom comes without a fight. It's called the good fight of That's what God calls us to do. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you this morning. And I want us to believe God that there will be more than enough for whatever God calls us to do. And Lord, we thank you when you called us out of Egypt. We were broke. But then we became part of the family of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And now we're rich. We don't see it always because it's not always in our pocket. But, Lord, it's in our account, and, Lord, sometimes you want us to reach out in faith and go after it. So, Father, we're praying that this, this project that we've engaged with you, God, that it would be a great thing, a faith-building thing, a momentum builder for this house. And, Lord, that many, many lives would be impacted because we were willing to take the next step of faith for our generation. We were willing to pick up the baton and, and run with it and hand it off to the next generation, Lord. So, Father, we're believing that just as the testimony was true of the children of Israel, that same testimony is going to be our testimony. Stop the giving. Stop the, stop the checks. Stop the funds. Because we've met our goal. Everything is paid for in full. Father, that's what we're going to step out in faith and believe you for, God. So, Lord, I pray, bless your people. Speak to our hearts, Lord, over the next several weeks as we're praying and as we're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, speak to the hearts of your people. And Lord, help us, like the children of Israel, to simply obey and to do what you're asking us to do. We'll give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen.